Section 7 of How the Codex Was Found by Margaret Dunlop Gibson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 7 Identification of the Codex. The reader will see that we came home laden with treasure in the shape of a thousand undeveloped photographs. We were not a little nervous on passing through custom houses, lest some overzealous official should mistake our photographic rolls for quids of tobacco, and let in a ray of light before we could do anything to prevent it. Happily this danger did not occur, and we landed our freight in Cambridge undisturbed. We set about developing the negatives ourselves, and succeeded with them beyond what our inexperience justified. A curious circumstance deserves to be noticed. While Mrs. Lewis was photographing the palmcest from day to day at Sinai, and I was holding the heavy volume on the stand and turning its leaves for her, a task in which Galactean often helped me, it happened one day that I lost my place, and so caused her to take duplicates of about thirty of its pages. As we were developing our films at home, and consulting all our friends who had any experience in the matter, one of the latter advised us strongly to send a roll or two to a professional photographer to be developed, in order that we might have a standard to work up to. We sent one roll of the palimpsest, and half a roll of scenery, the roll contains twenty-four films. They came home much fainter than those we had developed ourselves, so faint indeed that few of the films could be printed from and thus about twenty-four pages of our palimpsest seemed irretrievably lost, and we were greatly distressed. What was our delight, as we went on with our developing, to find that, owing to my mistake at Sinai, we had good duplicates of them all? Perhaps I had better pause here, and explain to the uninitiated what a palimpsest is. In the days when papyrus had become scarce, and paper was not yet invented, the old monks used to write on vellum, i.e. finely prepared skins of animals. Occasionally, especially in out-of-the-way places like Mount Sinai, vellum also became scarce. But the literary ardor of the brethren was not to be restrained by such a contemptible difficulty. So the existing writing on the already used vellum was carefully erased and scraped with knife or pumice stone. And when this had been done to the scribe's satisfaction, he proceeded to use it again for his immediate purpose, and to write on it something wholly different, with no regard, or less than no regard, to the probably far more valuable script that lay beneath his pen. There is nothing that does not leave its mark, however, in this serious world of ours, and it is happily possible often to see traces of the earlier or underwriting on the margins and between the lines of the later or upper writing. Such a manuscript is called a palimpsest. When our thousand photographs were all developed and prints made from them, our new task, and that a very troublesome one, was to arrange them all in proper order. My sister took charge of all the Syriac films, leaving the Arabic ones to me. I own to having had very hard work with mine, having to find out in each photograph what passage of scripture it represented, and get them all into sequence, as well as their tender negatives, in time to exhibit a codex of the four Gospels and another of four epistles at the Ninth International Congress of Orientalists, which was held in London in September 1892. 
Before that time came, our labors had been more than rewarded by the decipherment of a little bit of the underwriting of our precious palimpsest. It is not a little amusing now to look back and think of how nearly several eminent Syriac scholars amongst our friends just managed to miss discovering its value. My sister, when at Sinai, was aware that this underwriting was the Gospels in ancient Syriac, at least the synoptic Gospels, for had she not seen Evangelion, Mathi, Marcus, and Luca on its pages, and recognized similar words in the photographs as she was arranging them? I may here mention that arranging was for her a still harder task than it was for me. I could find what each of my Arabic photographs was with the help of a concordance, but she had nothing to guide her but the top lines of the pages which she had copied from the manuscript at Sinai, and these top lines were often blurred by the underwriting, or even altogether absent from the photographs. To go over 360 lines for each photograph could not but take up a great deal of her time, and was very trying to her patience. It required, too, the greatest care and attention to keep all that mass of material in order, and not mix up films already printed from with those as yet strangers to the printing frame. My sister told several of her friends of the work she was doing, and that she was reading the upper writing, that it consisted of the lives of female saints, and that she had copied its date from the manuscript at Sinai, and calculated it to be A.D. 698. Closer inspection this year has convinced her that it is nearly a century later, but even this is considered surprisingly early for a palimpsest. It was natural that, convinced as she was that she had got in her hands a facsimile of ancient Syriac Gospels, she should long to know precisely what version it was, and what its exact value. It was one day in July that Mr. and Mrs. F. C. Burkett were lunching with us, after all our guests had gone but they and Miss Mary Kingsley, my sister spread out her photographs on the piano for Mr. Burkett to look at. She told him what the upper writing was, and that the underwriting was Syriac Gospels, which she hoped with his keen young eyes he might be able to decipher. He became at once intensely interested, and asked if she would entrust some dozen of the photographs to him for a few days. This was on Friday and on the following Sunday morning she received a card from Mrs. Burkett to say that her husband was in a state of great excitement, that he had written down a portion of the palimpsest the previous night, Friday, and had been to Professor Bensley with it, and that they had discovered it to be a copy of the Curitan Syriac. It was only on the 19th of March last, on the evening before we left Sinai for the first time, that we discovered how Mrs. Burkett, in her excitement, had not given us a perfectly correct account of the transaction. We learned that it was the photographs themselves, and not merely a transcription from them, that Mr. Burkett had taken to Professor Bensley. The two had deciphered the underwriting together, the older and more experienced scholar being the first to recognize the Curitan text. What Mr. Burkett had really written out at home was only a part of the Greek which follows it, and which is hardly yet identified. The importance of the discovery was at once apparent. The text which Dr. Curitan found in 1842 among the manuscripts brought from the Nitrian Desert, nine years previously by Archdeacon Tatum, and deposited in the British Museum, 
is recognized as of the highest value to biblical scholars and critics, as it is the earliest version made from the original. But Curitan's manuscript is sadly deficient. It contains Matthew, from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 8, verse 22. Matthew, from chapter 10, verse 32, to chapter 23, verse 25. Mark, chapter 16, from verses 17 to 20. Luke, chapter 2, verse 48, to chapter 3, verse 16. Luke, chapter 7, verse 33, to chapter 15, verse 21. Luke chapter 17, verse 24, to chapter 24, verse 44. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 42. John chapter 3, verse 6, to chapter 7, verse 37. John chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, 16 to 18, 19 to 23, and 26 to 29. St. Mark's Gospel being present only in its last four verses, and it is well known that the last twelve do not occur in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Here was a manuscript which, even from the photographs of it, one could see contained a great deal of St. Mark. To return to our narrative, the same morning Mr. Burkett brought a letter from Professor Bensley to himself to show us. This was a request to us to keep the matter secret till once we could get the palimpsest transcribed. We did keep it secret to some extent, at least to the extent of not publishing it, and of telling only a few friends whose advice we were in need of. Professor Bensley himself was so much excited that he forgot an engagement to dinner, and the very next day six of us had resolved to make the journey to Sinai six months later, and had communicated our resolution to each other. It seemed an instinct with us all to wish for the transcription of that manuscript. My sister and I also began to urge on Mr. Rendell Harris the desirability of his accompanying us. Professor Bensley's new edition of the Curitan text was already advertised. With true English courage, he volunteered to cross the desert in spite of his precarious health and inexperience in camel riding. It would be a matter of poignant sorrow to us could we think that this resolution had cost the loss of so valuable a life. He came home, alas, but to die, and the place that once knew him in Cambridge now knows him no more. But it was not the desert journey which he went through so bravely that caused this misfortune. It was at Rome that he afterwards caught the chill which proved so quickly fatal. The day of each man's death is fixed by heaven— and we must bow to the will of the Almighty, who mercifully spared his loving widow and ourselves the unspeakable pain of having to bury him in the desert sand, as might so easily have happened. Now his loved remains rest among those of his relatives till the hour of the resurrection, and it must be a consolation to those who mourn for him that his last energies were spent in so high and holy a service. We cannot well estimate the loss which we have thus sustained for the addition of our manuscript, nor the still greater loss for the critical text, nor the still greater loss for the critical text of the old Syriac version, which it was hoped Professor Bensley would edit from the two manuscripts. We may be allowed to express the wish that this important task may yet be accomplished by a British scholar. End of section seven. Recording by Hannah Mary.